Welcome to The Unashamed Alcoholic. Today's guest is author Sarah Heppola. Sarah wrote the memoir Blackout, Remembering the Things I Drank to Forget, one of the books I read before I got sober. But honestly, a great read, whether you're in recovery, thinking about stopping drinking, or you don't have a drinking problem at all. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Sarah. Sarah, thank you so much for joining me today. I'm, I'm a big fan of your work. Thank you. Before I got sober, I read um, Blackout, um, as I did many other memoirs uh, around drinking and alcoholism. I was um, essentially looking for uh, a similarities to my life and, and a, basically a reason to, an excuse to keep drinking. Um, I didn't experience blackouts when I was drinking like you did. So I thought, great. I don't, I don't have a problem. Sure. So this lush in this book has got to quit, but I'm good. Yeah, I'm good. Even though at that point I knew I did deep down. Um, so I'm sure you hear this a lot, but thank you for sharing your story because it did, it was, you know, one of those steps along the way that helped me um, come to grips with what I knew I had to deal with. So thank you. Oh, you're so welcome. Well, one of the reasons why I wrote a book like that is because I read books like that. I did exactly the same thing that you did. It's good to know. And I think so many people are in the same situation. Yeah. Um, are you, is it 10 years? You're 10 years sober 10 now? Years, 10 years. That's 10 amazing. Years. I keep saying it because it's so amazing to me. It's like a decade of time that I have not drank. And that just is wild. Yeah. I remember hearing like when in uh, the rooms and you have a celebration and you'd hear uh, someone was celebrating, you know, anything over anything in the double digits, I would just be like, what? Like, that's possible. It seems insane. I remember hearing 90 days and being like, that's wild. <laughs> yeah. Months. Yes. Yes. Because I was one of those faint. I would always do one month. I was always doing a month to kind of prove that I could do it. And then it would get whittled down to like two weeks, but it was like, <laughs> I can do that. You know, but three months was like serious time. Yes. It was huge. I thought, I never thought I would get to a year and then a few years. And now you're, you're at 10, like to, I'm at three. So to see 10, it's just like, <sighs> that just, you just have so much sobriety under your belt, you know? <laughs> I do I do, but it's just a, you know, it's like, it's like a booster chair that keeps getting bigger, you know? <laughs> That's such a good way to put it. Do you feel different at 10 than you did at like five? You know, it's funny. Um, so at five, you know, in some ways, one of the great discoveries of sobriety is that a lot of your problems are still with you. <sighs> that, that alcohol was but a symptom mm -hmm. and that it was in fact, not until you remove the alcohol that you start to reckon with who you really are underneath all that. And the great struggle of your life hasn't been revealed yet. Now I hesitate to say this at the beginning of the, you know, I feel like this is one of those things that they, that, you know, you want to lure people in with like, it's going to get better. And what they don't want to hear is that you're only beginning your journey, but this is true of life, right? That, yeah. that after one challenge, then it opens the door to the next challenge. Right. And that is just absolutely true of sobriety. So yeah. at five years, my book came out. I was pretty much like, wow, this sobriety thing is pretty kick-ass because <laughs> I've like, I have a book, um, which I'd always wanted to do. I um, felt great. I was um, meeting all these interesting people. I, the book did really well. I just felt like this is just gonna keep going up. 
but it didn't keep going up. And I think the more challenging part for me was the next five years, hmm. because a lot of times arrows don't always go up. When arrows are going up, when your life is going up, sobriety is a pretty good deal. And then when things get harder, then it's like, okay, now this is a different bargain. Right. And as I entered a phase of life that was, ooh, what's my next book going to be about? How am I going to make my living? Where, you know, the book was such a big part of my life that when it was gone, it was like, it also left a, a hole, much like quitting drinking, where you're like, well, what am I going to do now? So those were the, the, the challenges of the next five years. Um, so I feel so strong in the sense of like, there's no, I don't ever think about drinking, mm-hmm. but it is sometimes a, it's, I'm reminded often of like, oh yeah, that's why I was a drinker. <laughs> oh yeah, that's still part of me. I'm still nervous. I'm still insecure. I mm-hmm. still get outsized emotions over things. I'm sensitive AF as the kids say, um, all the stuff. And now you just have the tools, right? Like I find I I go through that too, where it's like, you know, you're in that sort of pink cloud for so long and you're on the up and it's, everything's great. And you know, things are working out. And then like, like I said, I got, went through a separation and going through a divorce and it's just like, okay, this is new. How do I handle this without like resorting to drinking? Like, which would have been my, my friend all along through this, you know, new stage of life. So it's like now, okay, now I've got to go back and rely on all those tools that I, that I've learned. That's right. The right. That's right. Because in the drinking lot, in your drinking life, most of us learn one tool, which is to drink our ways through it. <laughs> yeah. And that tool gets overused. It's an overused tool in the bucket. And so, you know, when you quit, you have no guarantee of happiness, no. safety, nothing like that. But Mm -hmm. what you do get is more familiarity with other kinds of tools and Mm -hmm. also with yourself, I think. Absolutely. I see sometimes that um, Blackout's written as uh, a memoir about drinking or a memoir about alcoholism or or, and then other times it's written um, a memoir about addiction or alcohol addiction. Mm -hmm. Do you relate more to one of those terms or another? Like, do you talk about yourself as being an alcoholic or do you say I'm in recovery or sobriety is, is there one or another that you talk about more about? Yeah. Um, I do identify as an alcoholic, um, because my path was through AA and I spent a lot, I lost a lot of time sitting at the precipice going, what is an alcoholic? What does it mean? What? I just wanted the litmus test. I wanted there to be some, I was taking a hundred online quizzes. And what I realized was that in some way, I mean, alcoholism is a self-definition really. And it it is a self-diagnosis and you're Mm -hmm. saying I cannot handle alcohol. Mm -hmm. And so I can sit around and, and, and punt the ball around with people around semantics but I found it very valuable for me to identify as an alcoholic because it meant my drinking life was over. Now that said, I find alcohol a trouble. A, it doesn't always invite readers and, yeah. and because of everything we just described. Yeah. And so sometimes when people hear, oh, it's a memoir about alcoholism, they're like, oh, I don't want to read about that. Yeah. And they have certain identify, they have certain basket of behaviors around alcoholism Mm -hmm. that are not part of my story. 
I mean, I think I had a more garden variety gray zone drinking problem with um, some flourishes. I mean, the blackouts are extreme. The early drinking is extreme because mm-hmm. um, I started early, but in the middle for the most portion of my life, I scanned as a pretty garden variety bar drinker, like the rest of them. Yeah. And so I, you know, when I talk about the book, I tend to talk about it as a book about someone that fell in love with alcohol and had to walk away. Yeah. So I don't use the, the term alcoholism or addiction. However, there's no question that it is about that. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't want to avoid the terms because yeah, sure. Call me an addict, call me an alcoholic. That's mm-hmm. fine. I, I sometimes stand in front of, especially like college kids, I'll stand in front of them and say like, I'm the face of alcoholism, you know? And they're like, what? <laughs> Cause I don't, what I, I don't mean that I'm the only alcoholism only looks like me. I mean that it can look like anyone. Exactly. Yeah. That's exactly, I mean, you're exactly describing why I wanted to start this essentially is because the, there's so much misconceptions and stigma and misunderstanding around what an alcoholic looks like. And I had the same things before I realized that I was one and started saying it out loud. And so I think when you say like, for me, when I say I'm an alcoholic, um, I think a lot of people, well, first of all, I heard, you know, when I started saying this out loud and, and publicly, people would say like, I had no idea, or I never would have thought, or you don't look like what I thought that would, mm-hmm. I mean, I sure. And that's why like, I needed to start talking about it more because I am an alcoholic and people have this misunderstanding about what an alcoholic looks like. You know, you're jobless, you're homeless, you're lo- you've lost everything. When in reality, I'm in my mind <laughs> thriving and you know, everything's fine and good. I mean, yes, I'm going through a separation, but like everything's fine and good. Like the, you know, in my life. Yeah. You're, you're a person that's in the bell curve of a normal life. Yeah, exactly. What people want to believe, or at least they've been conditioned by various movies and and different television shows is that alcoholism exists on these far ends of life, these very extreme ends. Exactly. Um, And I think what has happened is that the, uh, the definition and just the, the population of alcoholics has expanded, mm-hmm. um, which I see as a good thing because I see uh, identifying as an alcoholic, I see that as a, a bridge to making a better life for yourself. Yes. Uh, but usually it's, it's the moment when you kind of go, okay, I can, I'm not a drinker anymore. And, and you start to build another way. Yeah. So I've absolutely. come to see it as a hopeful term. I, I understand mm-hmm. that hard for people to understand because Mm -hmm. it, it has such associations with, with loss and and pain and terrible things. Yes, absolutely. And that's why I just, I think the more we talk about it and and show that, you know, what, who an alcoholic is and what that, what it can mean. I think there's what it can mean, not just like, there isn't just this one little box that everyone fits in either that there's, that just can mean so many different things to so many different people. And, you know, just keep, keep the conversation going. Can I say one more thing about that? You know, I also just think, don't worry about it. Like, like, I also think like, don't get hung up on the terminology. Yeah. Because I think there's a tendency where people are like, I don't want to be that. And it's like, okay, fine. But, but don't, 
use that as a reason not to address this problem, which is your drinking problem. Absolutely. You call yourself whatever you want. I, I, I find that people get mm-hmm. too hung up on that term. And I think the more important question is, is alcohol working in your life? Would your yeah. life be better without alcohol? And for yeah. me, my life has been as much as I loved alcohol and I will <laughs> always, I will never deny that. I mean, it was, and it opened doors outside and inside myself, but it was no longer serving me. It didn't work. The time mm-hmm. was up. Oh, I think you said, you know, you're talking about like the, the labels, right? Like people don't want to be labeled an alcoholic. And I think like, I've kind of been touching into that convert, that type of conversation lately with, with a few other people, it's it, people, you know, they don't want to say the term alcoholic or, or use that term to qualify themselves or describe themselves. And that's, fine. Um, and the important part is they're sober and, you know, there, everyone has a different journey to it, which is, it's, it's really interesting. And that's, you know, opening new perspectives for me on sobriety and recovery. It's not, obviously it's not a, it's not black and white. It's not a, it's not a one-way street either. Not well, in the, in the way that there were a million ways to be a drinker, there are a million <laughs> ways to be a sober person. <laughs> <laughs> Do you find that as a writer, there's any stigma or misconceptions or like the presumptions that you're a drinker, like, you know, in the, the, the writer's world that you face anything around that? I'm sure people think it's not cool that I don't drink. <laughs> you know, I, I remember going to a, a couple of writers workshops. This would have been years ago before the book came out. And, you know, I mean, all the bonding activities were around, let's go get drunk, you know, and, and, and writers are often true to their stereotype uh, because you know why? Because not because they're tortured geniuses, because they're socially <laughs> awkward people that don't know how to sit and connect with each other. Yeah. And it is easier when they have a little artificial lubricant. And so I, you know, said, no, thanks. I mean, I think, I think people end up thinking I'm aloof. I think whatever I, I was going through a phase where I wasn't telling people that I didn't drink. I just didn't participate. So mm-hmm. anyway, I, I think that's where the alienation comes for me these days. Most people know that I don't drink. So it's mm-hmm. like, it's kind of built into the like, Hey, do you want to come along to this event or, and, and by the way, now that I'm 10 years sober, I do sometimes go to bars. I do sometimes go to drinking environments because I don't feel threatened by them. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, you know, but as far as like, when I identified as an alcoholic, did that prevent me from no writing is such an unusual job. I think, mm-hmm. I think if anything, it probably increased my status, you know, because people were like, Oh, get her to write about alcoholism, <laughs> you know? <laughs> and I think that that is, I think there's a very different reality out there in corporate America. Right. I think people that are doing that, um, you know, that's very brave people that are allowing their workplace to know that they had alcohol problems. Mm-hmm. It's, it's not like the journalism world where some of that damage can actually work for you in this twisted way. Yeah. So absolutely. anyway, yeah, well, I, I had a different experience with that and I was lucky for that. I didn't have to worry. What would you say, like, how would you describe, you know, sober life now? Like you're, you're talking about it 10 years later. How would you explain it to yourself before you stop drinking too? Because, you know, like, me as well. You had said that um, you had saw like sobriety is like the the end of the road. Like there's no point yeah. in being sober because it's not going to be fun. I we all uh, so many of us drinkers think like that. So how would you describe what sober living is now? Like in terms of fun. 
Yeah. I mean, I was, I was obsessed with this idea that I, that people weren't going to like me. <laughs> and I was obsessed with the idea too, alternatively that I wouldn't like them. So there was two things going on, you know, it usually manifest as they're not going to think I'm fun. I won't be funny. Guys won't want to date me. Um, cause I was sober. I mean, I'm sober. I was single. I was chronically single. And so, and just always boyfriend hungry. And so, you know, the idea of quitting drinking was how, you know, how is that going to work? Well, a couple things that I would say to myself, one is, well, if you quit drinking, you know, Sarah, you might lose 50 pounds because (laughs) there is an enormous amount of excess weight that you are carrying around because of your, uh, I, I would always binge drink beer because beer was like my friend because it wouldn't make me black out. And so I could drink a ton of beer without having huge consequences. So that meant that my weight was just like out of control. Plus the hangovers were unbearable. And so Mm -hmm. I ate my way through them. Mm -hmm. So, and stress at work, all these things, I was 50 pounds heavier than I am now. Well, so in terms of guys liking me, I mean, I promise you it's, it's been, it's been much, even I get a lot more attention in the dating world as a 46 year old woman that's sober than I did as a 35 year old binge drinker. Wow. So um, why do you think that is? What, what is it? Is it, is it, I think it's a, it's because I'm so much more confident because I look so much better. I mean, because men are predictable in many ways. (laughs) I mean, I remember when I, when I quit drinking, you know, when I quit drinking, I felt transformed, but nobody could really tell the difference. And when I lost weight, everyone noticed the difference. Yeah. And I kind of felt the same. So it was weird. Yeah. And everyone, the guys would like stop the car and like, Hey, how's it going? And I was like, are you lost? What's going on? (laughs) And they would open the door for me and like pick up stuff that I dropped on the ground. I was like, what the hell is this? (laughs) Why are you all treating me different? I was mad at first because I had tried so hard and so valiantly to get their attention with my excellent personality. (laughs) And I felt like, (laughs) um, I'm really proud of my personality, but, um, but, but it was just one of those predictable things where you're like, oh, okay, right. It was, uh, yeah, it was this. Okay. Yeah. So, so that's part of it, but I don't think it's all of it. I don't, I think, I think in, especially in my younger years, I made stuff about my weight way too much. I mm-hmm. always like, if somebody didn't want to date me, I was like, it's because of my thighs. And it wasn't, it had to do with, to do with probably our compat, like they, that person's not for me. Right. But, um, but anyway, uh, I think there was a confidence in me. Um, I became a little more comfortable in my body with my own body, yeah. being seen, engaging with people. Um, I like myself more. I mean, that's and I huge. Think all of those things are really what makes the dating better. The, the, the weight loss is the superficial portion and it's yeah. big. It's, it's, it's part of it. It's big. Um, but it's not the fundamental stuff, right? Cause the fundamental stuff was that I needed to get more comfortable. And by the way, I'm not super skinny now. I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, I'm like quite a curvy woman. So like, I will never be a skinny person, but, um, uh, it, it was about me settling into my own skin. Yeah. Right. I'm, I'm 
six years out from having my my last kid and I'm still hoping to lose the baby weight at some point it's just gonna it's magically gonna disappear that was one thing when I stopped drinking I was like great all this extra weight's just gonna melt away and then it it didn't so that's yeah waiting on that to happen yeah the you know I didn't have a kid and that's I mean and that's by the way that's a disappointment in my life you know that I quit drinking at 35 uh, that's around the time they tell you to start getting real serious about having kids. Yeah. And I had other things on my mind and it wasn't until I finished the book at 40 that I really started to think, Oh, you know, that baby thing, I should really address that. And 40 is a really difficult time to start thinking about that. Mm -hmm. And I didn't have a partner Mm -hmm. and, you know, the next few years were pretty tough for me in trying to figure out what I wanted to do about that. Did I want to have a child on my own? Did I want to have, was it important for me to have a child in my own body? Was I comfortable adopting? These were all questions I did not know the answer to. Mm-hmm. And I didn't, it's, it sounds almost dumb because I'm in my forties at this point in the story, but it would like stuck up on me. And I was like, Oh yeah, the door is definitely closing. Um, and so, yeah, so all of that is to say, I didn't have that body transformation that happens when you have kids. Mm -hmm. Um, and that is another thing that happens to women in this age, but you know, a lot of my friends are in that, in that situation. And again, you know, I think we do put a lot of emphasis on weight that really would be better served on thinking about how we can be comfortable with ourselves and give ourselves things so that we don't go around through the world needing them. Yeah. Like when I went on dates being like, I need you to think I'm beautiful. Then I was screwed because then I was waiting for you to give me the green light that I was beautiful. Right. But if I can show up and be like, if you do great, if you don't cool, whatever it's a Mm -hmm. discovery. But in order for me to get to that place, I had to get so much stronger. Mm -hmm. And that was, that was hard. Yeah. It was, and, there, and by the way, there was no way to do it for me except to go through it. Like I had to date a lot of men and that's women, something that you know, I haven't I, had to, um, I've never dated sober be, like yeah. now, now that I'm out of a, a 13 year relationship, a 10 year yeah. marriage, and now I've got kids and now I'm like <laughs> shouting it out to the world that I'm an alcoholic and sober. I mean, a whole new ball game in terms of thinking about dating at some point than I was when I was in my twenties and totally relating to you when you talk about having, you know, the, the power position you're in with emotionally detached sex. I was having, if it wasn't a successful weekend, if I hadn't slept with some random, that's loser, right. Right. And so now it's like, those are worlds apart. I'm, I have, a, I have a, the body of a, a mother now. Yeah. I have all these things in your body. Yeah. yeah. It's my body that I'm, I'm not totally comfortable with, but I have two humans and, and I'm sober and I'm, I'm, you know, am I shooting myself in the foot in some ways because I'm, you know, so open about it. Like, but then you think, well, I don't want to date a guy who doesn't appreciate me for me. Oh, it's just, you know, it's just, Oh, listen, I've lived <laughs> through all of this. I mean, you know, uh, the question of, believe me, the question of whether or not you should really be living that loud does become a problem for the person that wrote a book about this as well. I mean, you know, I try to keep my work on the down low when I first meet somebody so that they can meet me. Mm -hmm. But I'm aware that when they Google me, if they Google me, a whole bunch of TMI is going to blow up in their face. Mm -hmm. And, you know, are we 
eliminating potential dating partners with this? Yes, the answer is yes. Um, are those people that were going to work for us? Probably not because what I think we want to be doing in this part of our life is to get a little bit more connected about who we are. That'll help us figure out who might work with us. Mm -hmm. That achievement orientation, you said something so interesting. You said, you know, it wasn't a successful weekend unless I slept with somebody. I had to lose that mindset well, it's, you know, of like the numbers, the numbers, a certain amount of time has gone by. Oh my God. Oh my God. A certain amount of time. And I haven't slept with anybody. Uh, everybody. It's like, I'm radiating some kind of rejection. I need somebody to relieve me of this. Well, this yeah. is no way. No, 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 no. This is no way to go through trying to find connection, intimacy, um, deep partnership. So in some ways you have to relinquish the, the scores the scorekeeping of the older life, right? You're not going to attract as many um, men as maybe a woman who wasn't an alcoholic, but that doesn't matter. The point is not to attract the most men. The point is to attract people to you uh -huh. that enrich your life uh -huh. that allow you to, you know, see yourself and be made stronger through their, their, closeness. So, you know, I think, I think all of it moves you away from this grasping way of let me be who you need me to be and more comfortably into who you are. Mm -hmm. And it makes, let me just tell you, it makes dating hard. It is a hard, it is a high wire act and it is beautiful and important. And everything that you learn in the dating world will help you in the world with your relationships, everything we're talking about here relates to people you work with and people that are friends with you. I mean, yeah. everything about yeah. the, the, the shift from people pleasing and nervous accommodation into a more settled connection with somebody. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, I, I look back at now, I mean, every few kind of weeks, I, I, get kind of thrown back into my twenties or some, you know, moment. And I just think, wow, why was I so desperate? Like the term desperate comes up so much for, for when I look, reflect. And I just think like, ugh, like I, I, I'm so glad that I'm sober now because I wouldn't want to be, you know, 40 and with kids and all these responsibilities and behaving. I knew because I know I would, if I was out dating now, and drinking that I would be in the same terrible, dangerous situations that I was putting myself in then. And I just think I wouldn't want to have that desperation, that, that need, you know, for, like you said, like just constant need of someone else to validate me all the time. I'm so grateful that, well, it, yes, it will be difficult dating. And now I, I would never trade it for anything to go back to what I was like before and putting myself out there like this now. Yeah. Yeah. I, I relate to that. And, and I, you know, the one thing I wouldn't, I would invite you to do too, is, you know, have compassion for that younger woman too. Um, you know, I think a lot of times when we come into this life, we get pretty disdainful. Like, yeah. like I heard some, you know, I was just so desperate and I get it, but it's like, but really we know you just wanted to be loved. 
Uh, no, and I, I exactly, and I, I, the desperation came off. I think about it in terms of what I looked like, but I felt like I, I examine a lot. Like, why did I feel? Why did I feel like the need to do that? And so that's still something I haven't quite, you know, resolved. Though the the why I was doing me behaving like that, but yeah. I'm glad because now I can look back and look at and resolve that. You know, it's just so. It's another one of those things. Like I'm grateful for. Like I'm grateful. I went through that because now I can reflect on it and, and, and it's not, not do it anymore, but, you know, have those moments of like gratitude for how I was because it's made me who I am. Absolutely. Yeah. You, there was something um, you said uh, that you, once you got sober, you were able to do, and you touched on it here a bit, address and deal with the things that you had been trying to do while you were drinking that once you were, had stopped drinking, all those things that you had been trying to get to well with alcohol were finally able to kind of happen. Oh yeah. 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 Well, I mean, I think I had always been drinking for a sense of belonging, Mm. for a sense of connection, for a sense of security. And the problem with drinking is that when you use it in order to create those things, mm-hmm. you actually only create counterfeit versions of them. You can't yeah. feel true belonging because the sense is like, well, if I didn't drink, they wouldn't like me. Right. I mean, that's where that comes from, right? It's not, so even though, I mean, oh my gosh, I love my college friends, I love them, but, but there was something that was a little lacking in that looking back because a lot of them, I would have been afraid to quit drinking because they wouldn't have wanted to hang out with me. Mm-hmm. That would be my fear. So you question how real that belonging is. Mm-hmm. Certainly the insecurity, you know, when I drink through my insecurities, then I never get to build that part of me inside that needs to be grown up, that needs to grow up. And the only way to grow up is to stop pouring the alcohol on that part of you. Right. And get on, you know, drag yourself along on your ass for a while and then your knees Mm -hmm. and then you're stumbling and then you're walking and then you're running. And that's really the only way to do it. But if you stay in that position where every time you feel insecure, you pour alcohol on it, then you stay undeveloped. That part of you can't develop. Right. And so, you know, one of the many things that has been wonderful is how deep my friendships are in sobriety. Uh, and, you know, part of this too is getting older. You know, look, we age out of this drinking lifestyle. <laughs> it makes a lot of sense in your 20s and 30s. As people have kids, as the kids get older, as we get older, it just, it's not so hard for me to find friends that don't drink anymore mm-hmm, mm-hmm. around me, even if they're not sober. Um, my you know, there's a, there's a moment in the book I know where I, I had talked about how like, well, wine was the glue of women's worlds. And then I, I kind of take a step back and I go, no, talking is the glue of women's worlds. Like talking is all I do with my female <laughs> friends. We just talk, 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 talk. We're the biggest talkers. I have so many, I'm, I think the only person that uses their iPhone for actual phone calls, um, very long phone calls, love my phone calls, but Um, but I, I love my relationships with them. They're so real. And it's so much of what I was drinking for. What I wanted to drink for was to, I didn't want to be alone. I was a scared 
lonely kid. I didn't want to be alone. I wanted people to be around me. Mm-hmm. And so it felt like if I had alcohol, if I brought alcohol, if alcohol was there, then you wouldn't leave. And it's like what I've been really able to, to learn and know in my heart is that, you know, it's, it's, it's the, it's the authentic connections that keep people there. It's not, it's not this superficial thing of drinking, whether or not there's drinking there or not, you know? Yeah. And that's so, it's so hard to realize it's, it's so hard to think about when you're in your twenties, that that's an option, right. Then even just, just not drinking is an option or not having that as like the, 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 what everyone gathers around and then goes from there. Now you can build things in with different roots, with real roots, like you said. And I mean, that's just what you said is so, so beautiful. It's so inspiring. <laughs> Thanks. I mean, I, and I think with the younger kids, like they just don't see it. They just don't see it. There's not people around them to role model for that, but, but the college kids are drinking less. And I think, I think they're going to, they're going to start being a little more casual with that. I think the bar life will stop being the foundational or central mm-hmm. um, facet of young adult life. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm sure there will be different challenges. Like they experiment with pot and, and psychedelics and all sorts of crazy stuff. Plus they have the iPhone anyway. Um, <laughs> but you know, I think the more that you see, I know that when I started to like, when I um, was about to quit drinking, I just thought, well, nobody, I didn't know anybody sober. And then the more, you know, sober people, the more you're like, oh my gosh, this isn't that hard. Like I can, they can do it. And you see them go through the world and it just makes it so much less threatening. And you also realize how many people around you didn't drink and you didn't know it. (laughs) You you just assumed everybody drank. Yeah. Yeah, uh, absolutely. I mean, I think I, I hope that, you know, in, in conversations like this, it can show people that it's not it's not necessary. It's not required. It's not, you know, that's what kind of it's, it's put on. It's the assumption that everybody drinks that drinking is the, you know, alcohol. If you, you're the odd man out, if you don't drink, I, I'd rather it be a, a little more like 50, 50, you know, it's like there, and no one bothers you if you don't drink, you know, now there's still a bit of like, well, why, why, why not? Why aren't you drinking? Yeah, I see it getting better though. There really has been an awareness around sobriety that didn't exist 10 years ago. Yeah. Our clubs, I just did, um, working on a story for January about, you know, clubs putting non-alcoholic cocktails on their menus, bars putting, putting, um, they're trying to get away from the word mocktails. So it's uh-huh. like zero proof cocktails and, you know, like they're really elevating that to a sophisticated drink. And these are some of the best bars in the country that are doing this. And so this is really, it's a, it's a really inclusive act. It's respectful. Uh-huh. Um, I think it's, it's also, by the way, useful for not necessarily just non like there are many people in the world that drink, uh-huh. but not always. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Know, they, they would like to go to a bar and drink, but not on a Tuesday. Yeah. And they would like a different kind of drink. Like, yeah. I think the That's way the we've options. had it is just been so, it's just the way we've done it. And everything at a bar has to be alcoholic <laughs> or, or F you and, mm-hmm. you know, and everyone has to drink there. And it's just, it's not a good way to do business. I think bar owners are starting to realize that they were thinking a little uncreatively. And so they're, they're learning to open their mind about that. Yeah. That it's hopeful. I, I have hope. <laughs> yeah. And I like challenging bartenders, you know, like make me something that's, I don't want a Coke. I want something interesting that yeah. just with no booze in it. And I get these beautiful concoctions. So. And the thing is, is that here you have a population of people that will pay you money good money for drinks without alcohol and alcohol mm-hmm. is the primary cost of a drink. So their margin 
is huge. Yeah. They could make so much money off of us. <laughs> yeah. We just want to look like the other kids. <laughs> <laughs> well, Sarah, thank you so much for chatting with me today. I feel like I, I feel like I had a bit of a therapy session. I kind of poured out all of my, <laughs> my life onto you and just tell me, tell me what I should do. Tell me your thoughts on this. So I really, but, and this is the, this is why I was drinking. I was drinking for stuff like that. And now I don't even have to drink for it anymore. Just go on your podcast. <laughs> Well, I really appreciate you joining me. And, uh, you know, I think anyone who is uh, sober or in recovery or not quite there yet, um, anyone can can take something out of your book blackout. So I, I you know, and, and hopefully this conversation. So I really, uh, I think you're, you're inspiring. Oh, well, thank you. Uh, I can't wait to read the new book. <laughs> I'm really I can't wait to, to get it done. <laughs> so we're both looking forward to that. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining me today. You're welcome. Thank you. In speaking with Sarah, I felt like I was chatting with a friend or myself a bit in the future. Sarah had so much wisdom to offer, and I really appreciated our conversation. I hope that you can take something out of this conversation as well. Thanks for listening. See you next time.